You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called The Age of Responsibility, CSR 2.0 and the New DNA of Business. Chapter 11, The Principle of Circularity. Case 10, Yvonne Chouinard and Patagonia. It was back in 1990 or so, recalled Yvonne Chouinard, founder and CEO of the $300 million Patagonia clothing company. We were growing the company by 40 to 50% a year, and we were doing it by all the textbook business ways, adding more dealers, adding more products, building stores, growing it like the American dream, you know, grow, grow, grow. And then one year we predicted 40 to 50% growth and there was a recession and all of a sudden we only grew at 20%. And at the same time our bank was going belly up and we had cash flow problems and it went to absolute hell. And I realized that I was on the same track as society was. Endless growth for growth's sake. This was the turning point, the Damascus experience, on a journey that would lead Patagonia founded in 1957 by Schoenard, selling mountain climbing pitons out of the boot of his car to become one of the true business pioneers in sustainability and responsibility. Schoenard had always had an affinity for nature and was a somewhat reluctant entrepreneur. He would rather have been out fishing or mountain climbing, so it was entirely natural that he would commit the company since 1985 to giving at least 1% of its annual sales to environmental charities, or that in 1988 he initiated a national environmental campaign to de-urbanize the Yosemite Valley. But the real wake-up call, the U-bend in the pipe if you like, was that 1990s recession. Schoenard's first step was to kick the company's growth habit. He put on the brakes and reverted to what he called natural growth. What that means is that only when our customers want something do we make more, but we don't prime the pump. Taking this stance was a radical departure from business as usual in an industry that runs on the steroids of aggressive advertising and celebrity endorsements. His competitors were dumbfounded, but Schoenard's mind was made up. He says, I basically want to make clothing for people who need it rather than for people who want it. The next step was to begin assessing the environmental impacts of Patagonia's products. This time, it was Schoenard's turn to be shocked. The big surprise came from the results on industrialized grown cotton. The natural fiber used in most of our sportswear proved to be by far the greatest environmental evildoer of the fibers studied, he recalled. We learned that 25% of all the toxic pesticides used in agriculture were and are used in the cultivation of cotton, that the resulting pollution of soil and water was and is horrific, and that evidence of damage to the health of field workers is strong, although difficult to prove. Cotton was the biggest villain, and it didn't have to be. Farmers had grown cotton organically, without pesticides, for thousands of years. Only after World War II did the chemicals originally developed for nerve gases 
become available for commercial use and start being applied to eliminate weeding fields by hand. Schoenard has developed a philosophy over the years, namely that a company has a responsibility to not wait for the government to tell them what to do or wait for the consumer to tell them what to do. That as soon as you find out you're doing something wrong, stop doing it. And that's exactly what he did. In 1994, he gave Patagonia 18 months to wean itself off industrialized grown cotton. And that was no mean feat. We had to revolutionize the industry, he recalled. We had to co-sign loans for farmers because they went organic and they couldn't get a loan from the bank because the banks tied in with the chemical companies. We had to convince gins to clean their cotton gins and then process our stuff. We had to find the right mills. It was really a big process, but we've never made a single product using industrialized grown cotton since 1996, and it's working out fantastic. It put us on a whole other level from our competitors. By the early 2000s, the age of management was already in full swing around the world, and Schoenard started coming under pressure to produce a GRI-compliant sustainability report. So in 2004, Patagonia audited itself against the GRI and produced a draft report. Schoenard concluded that it was absolute bullshit. It was boring, it didn't challenge the company, and perhaps more importantly, he felt it was misleading. Schoenard wanted total transparency, warts and all, and he wanted it presented in an engaging way. We're very self-critical and we're very idealistic, Schoenard explains. I think only by being honest can we show the full extent of the problem. Right now, there's a lot of green glossing going on, green marketing. There's a lot of misinformation out there, especially with all these companies claiming to be green. So we want to be absolutely dead honest with how difficult it is. As a result, and as part of Schoenard's commitment to lead an examined life, Patagonia launched its Footprint Chronicles in 2007. The Chronicles are a remarkable experiment in transparency, telling the story of products from design through fibre creation to construction and shipment. To date, it has assessed the social and environmental impacts of over 150 of its products, the findings of which are available for all to see on its website. Let me take one recent edition, Organic Cotton Jeans, to give you a flavour of how it works. The first thing I see when I click on a picture of the jeans is a map of the world, with pins in key locations and dotted lines joining them. As I hover my mouse over each pin, I get a quick snapshot of the supply chain. Design in Ventura, California. Fiber and fabric in the Akola District, India. Sewing in Tehucan, Mexico. And distribution in Reno, Nevada. I can click on any one of these to get more information of that particular microprocess. So let's look at what happens in India. I'm taken to a slideshow with a colorful and insightful 19-page presentation on Patagonia's supplier, the Arvind Worldwide Fair Trade Organic Cotton Project. It describes how Arvind helped to organize struggling farmers into self-help groups, 
consisting of 20 or so individuals who joined together to improve their yields and income through the adoption of organic practices. Each step in the planting, growing, harvesting, packaging and shipping process is explained with photographs and video clips that bring it all to life. And I can do the same for the other stages in the process. The result is that I am left with a much greater understanding of the supply chain and some sense of the people and processes involved. But what about the impacts? Returning to the main Chronicles page for organic cotton jeans, I see five symbols each of which reveals information. I find out that a single pair of jeans takes 187 megajoules, or 52 kilowatt hours, of energy, which I am helpfully told is equivalent to burning an 18 watt energy saving bulb for 120 days, 24 hours a day. The jeans have travelled 14,300 miles, or 23,000 kilometres, to get to me, equivalent to a round trip from France to Argentina. They have also produced 62 pounds, or 28 kilograms, of carbon dioxide emissions and 82 ounces, or 2.3 kilograms, of waste, equivalent to 47 times and 4 times the weight of one pair of jeans, respectively. Finally, 174 litres of water were used, enough to provide 58 people with drinking water for one day. I now have a much better handle on the impacts I have by buying these jeans. But there is more information. The good, the bad, and what we think. The good states that we use organic cotton, working with contract farmers in India, teaching them about organic farming and fair trade. The cotton is mainly rain-fed. During dry periods, it is irrigated with water previously captured in ponds. Fields are mulched to slow evaporation. We make them to last, and when they wear out, they can be recycled. The bad confesses that while we use organically grown cotton, this is environmentally preferred to conventionally grown cotton, still recycled cotton would be even better. And under what we think, they provide some thought-provoking insights, saying... Many customers want jeans that look worn and faded. Distressing denim requires the use of chemicals, energy, water and manual labour, with some environmental downside. We continue to research new developments in denim processing, hoping to further reduce water use and employ even cleaner chemistry. Arvind makes denim with recycled content, but the cotton is not organic, so we don't use it we hope to develop a recycled organic cotton blend. So the Footprint Chronicles clearly have benefits for the customer, but what about for Patagonia? Elisa Lauman, environmental strategy analyst, explains what they have learned from the process, saying, Some of the earliest data that we found showed us that the transportation energy use is actually quite small, in comparison to the total energy used to make a product. So this has allowed us to shift our focus from worrying about the distance that our products are travelling, as long as they are being shipped by boat, that's the most efficient way, to instead focusing on the energy use in the manufacturing process. Another thing we learned was that the treatment we were using on our wool to descale it, to make it shrink-resistant and itch-free, was using a lot of energy. It was a chlorine-free process, so it was good in terms of not using chlorine, 
but it was using more energy than we'd like. So we're currently looking for a less energy-intensive solution that also avoids using toxins. The Chronicles have not only had environmental benefits. Changes have occurred with our partner suppliers as well, says Lauman. One specific example is Everest, one of our fabric vendors. We had a group of Patagonia employees go to visit them, and on their tour they noticed that there was a smell coming from the laminating area. They also noticed that the workers in that area were not wearing masks, so they inquired about why the masks weren't being worn. And they learned that the employees during the monsoon season found them unbearable to wear and refused to wear them. In an effort to resolve this issue, and as part of their process to become Blue Sign certified, Everest invested $1.3 million in a system to recover the solvent fumes on their coating line. The coolest thing about Footprint Chronicles, concludes Lauman, is that it has given us a venue to have an open and honest conversation with our customers and our viewers on the website. And it's allowed us to be transparent about our business and talk about the good things and the bad things. And the more we've learned about how we make our products, the more we want to know. Behind the Footprint Chronicles and many of Patagonia's other sustainability and responsibility initiatives is the key concept of cradle-to-cradle production and consumption. They've teamed up with some Japanese companies with the goal of making all of their clothing out of recycled and recyclable fibers. In particular, they are switching all of their nylon to nylon 6, which can be recycled infinitely. They're also recycling cotton and recycling wool. Of course, the best thing is to try and do clothing so that it never wears out, says Schoenard. And failing that, he says, we're going to accept the responsibility. We're going to accept ownership for our products from birth till death. So as much as we can, we're going to make all of our products so that if you buy a jacket, a shirt, a pair of pants or whatever, when you're done with it, you can give it back to us and we'll make more shirts and pants out of that, which is different in a way of thinking about consuming. Reflecting on the company's journey, Schoenard concludes that the key is curiosity. We had to ask a million questions, he says. But then once you educate yourself, then you're left with choices. This company exists to ask the questions and make the choices, and then to prove that it's good business to other companies so that they can do it as well. As far as sustainability goes, Schoenard says that he is trying to run this company as if it were going to be here in a hundred years from now. But he believes that, somewhat controversially, there is no such thing as sustainability. There are just levels of it. It's a process, not a real goal. All you can do is work towards it. In the meantime, he suggests that every business should say, we're polluters, we're using non-renewable resources, and therefore we should tax ourselves. One way to do that is to join the 1% for the planet an organization founded by Schoenard in 2001 as an alliance of mostly small companies that pledged to give 1% of their profits to environmental causes. 1% recently notched up its 1,000th member, and in total its members were giving $42 million to more than 1,700 groups. Schoenard 
Despite his company being hailed as the coolest company on the planet by Fortune magazine, believes that we're a long way from having a sustainable society. To change that, he says, we have to stop focusing on the symptoms and start focusing on the causes, which are growth, overconsumption, and poorly designed manufacturing processes. He says, I believe the accepted model of capitalism that demands endless growth deserves the blame for the destruction of nature, and it should be displaced. Failing that, I try to work with companies and help them change the way they think about resources. And the reward for that? Leading an examined life, says Schoenard, is a real pain in the ass. It adds an element of complexity to business that most businessmen just don't want to hear about. So why has he done it? He sums it up in his business biography, Let My People Go Surfing. He says, not to do it would have been unconscionable. <laughs>